0: all right okay i'm ready whoever is trying to fight me in the segment one is gonna gonna have it come down on them like a storm
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: that sounds like a dare
1: it's so cute a dare tries to scare me off from being right
2: Welcome back, everyone, to the Fascinating Podcast. I'm Kathy Kong.
1: I'm Clay Morgan.
0: (laughs) And I'm JR Foresteros. I had to pause. I had (laughs) to have a. There was a mat pause. (laughs) I
1: I have a mat shaped hole in my heart (laughs) when he's not here.
0: Matt McAlanis, currently in the air, headed on a vacation. In a plane, not
1: just like. Disembodied like or like you jumped, other
0: and otherwise. can't make yeah. it back down. <laughs> he's not just currently <laughs> like floating through space or yeah. falling through the air. Hey, speaking of floating through space, uh, we never really did talk about the fact that Elon Musk bought Twitter for $44 billion. How do you feel about that?
1: Okay, or did he? <laughs> well, will he? Apparently, he's gonna spend less if he does. I, I must be just completely out of the loop here. I didn't realize that he was so much identified um, as like who he is. Like, I didn't realize that he was coming with apparently he's not if not conservative, he's his enemies are like on the left or I just I just didn't know anything about him politically or whatever. And like you thought he was one of those
0: ultra progressive billionaires.
1: I, I, yeah, I guess when you say it that way. I just didn't I hadn't really ever thought about him and when I started seeing the backlash I was like, "Oh, this is bad."
0: Um, yeah, he's a human trash fire, Elon Musk. Uh kay. so so he he decided to buy Twitter because it was mean to freedom of speech, which actually just means uh neo-Nazis and trolls. Mm. Right? Uh famously uh, once Trump lost the election, finally decided to ban him from Twitter once it was ba- uh, no, no longer advantageous to their bottom line. Um, <laughs> and so there was this big panic when they announced that he was going to buy it. Then the bottom dropped out of Bitcoin and Dogecoin, uh, which basically, as far Bitcoin, lost like half its value. Dogecoin lost... Um, I think it's basically, like, gotten obliterated, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. And a couple of other places where where uh, Musk had a ton of money invested lost a lot. And so now, basically, it doesn't seem like he has enough money anymore mm. <laughs> to to do this purchase. So now oh. he's been trying to weasel out of it. Um, hmm. And Twitter is now not letting him. I, I think their plan is to... Now kick him while he's down, which everyone is happy about, obviously. So
1: well that's interesting, right? Because it seems like given that Twitter is whatever its value is, is based on its number of users, right? Like it seems like he could go very sour very quickly if I don't know, fifty million people stopped using it or
0: something, right? Well, and that that's just it, right? So so Twitter's own stock. Took a big hit after after it was announced that he was going to buy it. So he has been trying to basically say like I'm not going to pay as much as I said I would because it's not as valuable anymore. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's something called a contract. I'm not I'm not sure the the what those are exactly, but apparently when what you sign that? one, you have to follow through with it. And Twitter is holding his feet to the fire, and they're not letting him wiggle out of it in ways that I find deeply hilarious mm-hmm. uh, and and affirming. So.
2: So he can't just change his mind and announce that that's the way it's going to proceed by tweeting about it?
0: That's correct. That's correct. Oh. That's correct. Wow. Um, Speaking of people changing their mind, uh, did you Uh all hear the terrific good news that Taco Bell has now brought back the Mexican pizza? Mm -hmm. Bong! (laughs) Yeah, they, uh, you know, a lot of fast food restaurants during COVID slimmed down their menus— because of supply chain issues, because not as many people were eating out, all that kind of stuff and Taco Bell was one of them. They announced a major trim down of their offerings and one of the casualties was the much beloved, arguably best thing on the menu, Mexican pizza. I can't uh, believe
1: this is like a known thing. I I just I guess I'm just no longer in touch. I didn't know about Mexican pizza. I didn't know it went away you, because of wait, COVID. Wait, wait,
0: wait. What do you mean you didn't know about Mexican pizza?
1: Like I me the person, was not familiar or aware of this the thing called pizza.
2: Wait, yes. back up. Who
0: else would I be?
1: Well, JR wanted me to break down <laughs> that incredibly complex I statement. If,
0: I didn't know if you meant that you had just not heard that it went away, but you're saying you've never JR, even when am I ever one? prone to hyperbole? <laughs> never, I guess. Um, When's
2: the last time all, either of you have
0: been to Taco Bell? Within the last month. I went
1: probably once in the past year.
0: And you couldn't get a Mexican pizza, could you?
2: Okay, I think (laughs) I know where the Taco Bell is. (laughs) I don't think I've been to a Taco Bell in five years, maybe more, probably more. So, sorry.
1: So, this is is fascinating, Jr. because I think when I lived with you, Taco Bell might have happened from time to time. Like, we I don't were, remember Mexican pizza being a thing.
0: We were much closer to uh, Taco Bueno and Taco Casa. There were several other fast food taco places that were, uh, like, I, I'm legitimately trying to think through where the closest one was to our house, and it was a pretty good little hike. So, yeah, we would not have had an opportunity.
1: So here's what's funny about this. I, I had no idea you were going to bring this up as a thing. I, I literally didn't know it existed until a week ago. So I'm in a, uh, we we use a lot of Microsoft Teams. So it's like, just like a chat um, throughout the day at work. And so my team has our work chat, but then we have like a, a chat that's just for fun to kind of approximate like a water cooler and nothing about work is allowed to be discussed there. So people started talking about this in the chat and someone shared this big Taco Bell image. And it said, Taco Bell rewards, Mexican pizza is back. And there were, like, all of these emoji reactions of, like, gasps.
0: Joy. And I literally excitement, didn't. Surprise. And, and so I'm, like. Fulfillment.
1: And, and I'm, like, I really don't know. Is the headline the rewards or this thing called Mexican pizza? That was literally my response, like, days ago. And as you know. Which made them have a lot of feelings about me.
0: Okay, so here's what I'm hearing is that we need to do a special bonus episode video recorded that we post on YouTube of each of us acquiring a Mexican pizza and then eating them together.
1: Oh, sure. I, I'm not criticizing the Mexican pizza. It might be delicious. I just had never heard
0: of it. What do you, or do you mean it I recognize might be this? delicious? It is delicious. <laughs> it is.
2: We'll trust you. I, I, I honestly have never had one. Can't remember the last time I had Taco Bell.
1: Kathy, you know how there's Chicago
0: pizza? Uh-huh. This is Mexico pizza. I mean, okay, Taco let me just- Bell. Let me just break down <laughs> for you. It's a tostada, refried beans and ground beef, mm-hmm. another tostada, melted cheese. Oh
1: my gosh. I it mean, sounds that's just, delightful. It, it does. Sound, it sounds like what? nachos just laid out.
2: Uh, maybe that, nachos a are taco a, is, constructed.
0: Yeah, a, a taco is right. nachos just laid out then. If you're doing that- Well, it sounds like for me. Except for the
2: beans, I don't eat the beans. Right, I'm a little worried. When you said
1: beans, that kind of took me took me off it a little bit. It's going to all come down to how good the tostada is and what the ratio Mm -hmm. of beans is in this thing.
0: Then you put you put the hot sauce on the hot, like not okay, like that says. Well, you can do fire if you want. I do the hot. I find okay. the fire drowns out a lot of the other flavors. And oh. the key to a great Taco Bell experience is making sure you have a good balance of all of the different flavors going on there.
2: I love this commentary. I just don't think of balancing flavors as something I would be worried about with fast food.
0: Kathy, it sounds like we need to make a run for the border.
1: Boom. <laughs> 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 it's like the old Jim Gaffigan hot pocket routine remove Mexican pizza from box, insert directly into toilet
0: taco hell. It's so del- so delicious. <laughs> We're going to do it. We're going to do a live taste test. We're going to see Big fan of okay. Taco Bell. I can't wait. We can have
1: Taco Bell and Elon Musk on next show.
0: Who is the Taco Bell mascot? Like, you know, McDonald's has Ronald McDonald bringing yeah, it. It used king. to be the Chihuahua. Chihuahua.
2: It was the Chihuahua. Chihuahua.
0: Yo taco do, you think, do you think the Chihuahua died? Is that why it's not anymore?
1: Uh, like Spuds McKenzie? Yeah. I mean, that Chihuahua but, is like iconic. Like one of the top three probably brand icons of the 90s. But couldn't you
2: just get another Chihuahua?
0: Right. Okay. True fact, Chihuahuas were known as Texas dogs in the 1800s. Why? True fact,
1: J.R. In his household has a Chaiweenie.
0: Yep. A Dachshund Chihuahua mix. We have none. none. No Chihuahuas in your house? No Chihuahuas. No, yeah. No chihuahuas. All right. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll
1: table this Mexican pizza discussion. I'm curious if other people like even knew this was a thing or care.
0: It's all over my timeline. Hmm. Not mine. Yeah. All right. Well, Clay, I apologize for not informing you sooner so that you did not feel alienated at your water cooler.
1: I didn't feel alienated. I mean, I'm used to being right in most communication forms I exist in, so it's quite it's quite fine.
0: <laughs> so there it was okay that you were marginalized for your lack of a life experience?
2: <laughs> you know. How was that for, like, 20 seconds?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: My boss is in there, right? But, you know, he's pretty cool. I know just when to back off enough. And, uh, you know, you time it to, like, payday. Like, d- distance from payday. can <laughs> yeah. And, like, you know, you, you Lots balance Lots more room. Yeah, 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 And then as you like, get closer... Right after payday, then I really go hard. And as okay. we get closer and closer, then I start to back off, use more hard emojis,
0: you know, et cetera, et cetera. Super smart. Um, <laughs> well, uh, we've been... Um, We have been laughing and joking, obviously, but we're going to turn to something a little more serious, and that is the recent Supreme Court uh, controversy over the possible rescinding of Roe v. Wade. So we are, like, there's so much commentary out there already. There's a lot of really good think pieces and all that kind of stuff. What we wanted to do specifically was put Clay in the hot seat, since he is our American history and American government expert, and try to clarify a lot of the questions Kathy and I had about the language that a lot of reporting outlets were using surrounding this recent judgment. So um, we did a Supreme Court episode back when Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed, or I think it was Amy Coney Barrett actually was was confirmed, one of those two. Um, but this one is going to be a little, It's so it's going to be similar to that, but we're going to be a little bit different because we're going to be asking, uh, what do we even mean by saying we can, we can uh, roll back Roe v. Wade, and and why are we, why are so many outlets reporting that this could be a bad thing for several other recent rulings, uh, like uh, legalization of gay marriage? Um, so Clay, uh, you know I know you're not in the classroom anymore these days, but when when something like this happens, right when the you know when the news breaks, uh, how do you start processing it when it's something like a Supreme Court event?
1: Yeah, so let's let's have a conversation here. I mean, one, this comes with a caveat. I've been out of the classroom now for a few years. I am nowhere near as sharp as I once might have been when I was teaching all of these American government constitution courses at a bunch of universities. Um, But obviously, you know, I I still I still really appreciate how the government works and all that. And when something like this happens, I mean, I'll be honest. I I think a good place to start this conversation before I just dive into a little one on one stuff is. Uh, I am definitely someone who was guilty, I think. You know, for a long time, we've seen single-issue voters, and we've seen certainly the church push the idea that the number one thing that matters in how you cast your ballot is whether someone is, you know, quote, pro-life or not. And um, uh, I, I often would say in my classrooms, like, it's amazing how much this one issue will generate when... I would say things probably like, you know, there's no chance that the court's going to ever overturn Roe v. Wade. You know, I would have talked like that probably in recent history in the classroom. Um, And I just wonder if from your perspective, like I've seen a couple people on Twitter who are like, I told you, you said I was crazy in 2016, 2015, 2017. Um, I'm just personally curious. First of all, did you guys even think that we could potentially be... Seeing something like this, which is allegedly happening because of this leaked re- uh, decision.
2: Yes. <laughs> I mean, the lead up to 2016 and even the lead up to Trump running and then winning the nomination was just all sorts of red flags and alarm bells in terms of what was going on politically with the party. And I know that folks have been talking about um, padding the Supreme Court for a while now, but it also felt like that alone wasn't going to turn the tables. And it really did feel like as it was clear that this thing with Trump was a real thing, then that's when I started thinking all sorts of thoughts around you know handmaid's tale kind of stuff and here we are
0: yeah i'll say i didn't i don't think i really understood what it would take so in my mind it always happened in the legislature and so i think i gave less credence to it because of how like i was thinking like even when the Republicans have controlled both houses, they haven't had the majorities that they needed to you know, run a law through, much like the Democrats tried to do in response to this leaked opinion, right? It just didn't work. Um, I, I, I didn't understand how – I didn't understand how Roe v. Wade was grounded, and so therefore I did not understand how it could be overturned the way it has been. So this gotcha. has been a big learning experience for me. Um, that said, I, I like Kathy had a lot of anxieties about the way the courts have been packed, but it was for me it was more about future legislation, not not revisiting old legislation. So, yeah,
1: yeah, that's a good point. I, I guess I have been on record for now five years, probably or at least at least two or three years. I just constantly say nothing surprises me anymore. Like I was just so gobsmacked and shocked from like twenty. 16 to 2018, 19. And then I got to this point where I was like, like literally nothing matters anymore. If if reality doesn't matter, if facts don't matter, if truth doesn't matter, if if like the stuff that keeps happening can actually happen over and over, then I guess my reaction to this was one of once we saw Kavanaugh and and Amy Coney Barrett, I mean she literally couldn't name the five freedoms that we get from the First Amendment, which I get that most people can't, but you know, if you're going to be on the Supreme Court, you should have that pretty much locked down. Right. And he obviously, it was it was very clearly not picking the most capable legal minds, right? Um, and that was on the heels of Merrick Garland not being yes. confirmed, who right. was who was point who was nominated a year before the end of the Obama administration. So right. this very much was a systematic um, plan of attack, enabled by the fact that we have the system that we have. So. Let me just lay down a couple of the basics, and then we can talk about right to privacy, which, JR, to your comment, um, kind of helps us see not only how this maybe hits, uh, but then you guys could help me look ahead a little bit to what else might you know, possibly be in, in the targets here. So... The, the very basic level, um, we do have three branches of government, and their powers are separate, right? So the judicial branch is, is one of these, and the Supreme Court is the highest court in the land. Um, when when this system was created after the American Revolution, the, the judges, the judiciary, whether they were federal or state judges or all that, they were always seen to be by far the weakest branch of government because – the goal was always to protect against judges being able to create laws from the bench, right? Like a judge can't write a decision and create a law. And it was during the very first chief justice, a guy named John Marshall, who was on the bench for 32 years, that this thing called judicial review was established. And it was a case that had to do with John Adams and and, and some stuff between the elections. But the bottom line is, That when Marshall wrote this um, Marbury versus Madison court opinion, he established a precedent that what the Supreme Court could do was to say what the law is, was basically to define if something was legitimate or not, right? So where do laws come from? Like when we say, when we talk about laws, like who do you guys think of as the lawmakers? Congress. Congress.
0: White Congress,
1: people. white people. Who else? <laughs> what, what did I say? Yeah. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Good point. So Congress is one form of lawmakers. Who are some others?
0: Well, I guess on like local levels, I would look at city councils.
1: Yep. State there's 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 state, state lawmakers houses. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So so what happens when you know you get an issue where. Twenty states have a law that says one thing is right, and twenty states have a, the exact opposite of that law. Which uh, one is legalization of marijuana the, is a
0: big one right now, right? Exactly, like we have right? like some states it's completely just legal, some states it's medical only, and then some states mm-hmm. it's completely illegal.
1: Yep, uh, and that's that's a great example. There have been a lot of the conversation that you'll hear when you start digging into what's going to happen next in twenty twenty two, or how can laws be changed, or what are amendments. Um, interstate realities is a big part of our story, right? Because we have this thing called federalism, which not only gives us the, the, the three levels from local to state to, to federal, but you've got all these different state bodies, right? That have their own set of rights. So if you know those basics and you understand that, then you're, you're pretty well set up for what has always been, when I was growing up, there was all of this um, fear-mongering about a, a judicial activism, right? That nine unelected judges are going to come in and take God out of America and and make us all atheists, right? And make us all gay and all that stuff that was going to happen from the from the conservative Christian side. A lot of that was, we've got to be so careful about the judges. And in fact, that legacy is is well reflected here and what we're talking about yeah, today, right absolutely um, which is why you have people who they're not worried about the nuances of an entire slate of uh, votes that a lawmaker might actually sit in on that it's just like here's your pamphlet here are the big red check boxes that matter this guy believes in this this guy doesn't like go vote um so So that's, that's just a really important part of, of the whole situation here. So with that said, what does the Constitution say about abortion? Nothing. Right. So the word is not in there, and there's a lot of topics that are not in there. Like, um, you know, legalize, like like gambling on sports. The education system, like none of that stuff is in the Constitution. Right. And yet these are huge parts of our lives, right? The The founders, um, a- at the end of their era, you know, they, they put out this thing called the Bill of Rights, the mm. first 10 amendments. So we'll talk about amendments and how you can like update the Constitution or change it. But a lot of people don't really know about the ninth and 10th amendments. And they got those in under the wire because they wanted... They wanted a couple of things to be very clear, and it will affect every topic that ever comes up for all time long after we're dead. And the Ninth ninth Amendment said, just because we didn't mention something in the Constitution or these Bill of Rights doesn't mean you get to deny people of it. And the Tenth Amendment says, if we didn't touch on something enough in here, it's going to be up to the states to figure it out for themselves. So you hear all of this stuff about states' rights and the Tenth Amendment is a big, big deal in that conversation. And in fact, if you look at civil rights, slavery, right—the biggest topic in American history that led to the the whole Civil War was because states' rights. You know, who they're allowed to say that that. Some yeah, people is the federal
0: right. government allowed to say that individual citizens are not allowed to own slaves? Right. Yeah, That's the, right now. Yeah.
1: So so here we are with all these realities, and then we get to the '60s, man. And uh, it's like sexual revolution free you know, the post-war kids go off in all these new directions. Teenagers are a thing by the 1950s and all this stuff happens. And so along with that comes a lot of women's liberation movements, uh, gender equality laws that are considered, practices around schools and states that are definitely discriminatory against a number of different groups. And it's not too long before we get to the most personal version of how those rights hit, which is through one's own body, right? Through sexual identity. And and these are the kinds of cases that really from the 60s to 80s um, are gonna be just core to the culture wars that we've pretty much marinated in as we've grown up. Anybody who's in Generation X and, and some of the Ys. So all of that said, You've got this phrase that you're going to hear a lot more about that JR mentioned called the right to privacy, right? So, um, Kathy, what, what does that phrase like sound like to you? What is that, do? You Maybe you've read a lot about it. Maybe you've read nothing about it. What do you think of when you hear the right to privacy?
2: Uh, my business is my business and not your business nor the state's business. That's what I think of when I think of right to privacy.
1: Are there any limits on on that right of yours?
2: Yes, I'm a Korean American woman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, fair, fair.
2: Well, I mean, because because even though I'm living in 2022, right? That's the year of the our Lord right now. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Constitution, that was written by what we would call white men who also decided eventually that Black people were not fully people, <laughs> right? So I, I, when I think of these rules and absolutes, I automatically think of myself as outside of those bounds because I wasn't thought of. Like, I was not a real person mm-hmm. when these things were first start up, started. So that's what I think of when I think of right to privacy.
1: Such a great point. You know, the founders who definitely were not thinking about you, um, <laughs> even even when they thought about white men, right, they right. would have said, oh, there's limits. Right. Like even even for the most important people. Um, like you don't have the right to use your right to go limit someone else's rights, right? You're supposed to. Right. There's, there's, there's this idea that we can exist, and it's why your private property is such a big
0: reality of the American experiment and all that. Yeah, so, like, like I, mm-hmm. I can do whatever I want so long as that desire does not infringe on someone else's ability to flourish.
1: Yeah, you have freedom of expression, man. Just don't go out and use that freedom of expression to take away someone, else, someone else's right to life, liberty, and all that. So, so privacy, not mentioning the Constitution, the way it started to appear in the 1960s was often related to birth control and abortion. And so... I think it's interesting, right, that a lot of people who are, who are hearing this conversation today, I, I, don't, I don't know how it is in, in microcosms of America, how it is in family life anymore. But, you know, birth control doesn't seem to be nearly the, um, the massive topic that it once was. Right? It
0: will be. Except apparently well, in Mississippi, yeah.
1: Exactly. So here, So here we go. And it was actually a case in 1965 about birth control that very directly led to what would become this Roe versus Wade decision in the early 1970s, which is what we're talking about being overturned. So Estelle Griswold um, was in Connecticut, and she ended up in the um, Supreme Court case, where basically because she uh, operated a birth control clinic and got arrested because that was illegal— and probably a lot of people know can, how much.
0: Can I can I do one yeah. quick pause right here? I'm yeah. just. i sorry. I was just still processing the fact that you said that this case was 1965. The pill was introduced in like what 1959, 1960, right? Well, maybe
1: the pill, right? Birth control as a, as an idea and as different practices and forms has been around for
0: a lot. Longer, right, but but, right. but the pill mm-hmm. was. Uh, I think in, in ways it was revolutionary. Um, because it didn't rely on natural planning. It was something that was reliable. It was something that was prescribable. It was something that an individual female could get from her doctor and just take. You know, it didn't require like- Mass uh, manufactured. Yeah, right? you know, and so I just think it's like, I think it's so interesting and, and we're going to come back to this, that like, how I mean, how long does it usually take for a case to get to the Supreme Court? Isn't five years, four years- Right. Because you have to go through, you have to, like, bring the case to your local court and then you have to appeal, 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 appeal. Yeah. Like well, I mean, long- the court
1: the court can decide, you know, you can petition the court and they can decide to to hear a particular case as well. And And, and she knew what she was doing, like she was fully prepared to take on this fight.
0: Right, Um, I just think. Sorry, I just think it's interesting because because that's what we're seeing, right? Even the case that triggered this whole conversation is one that they put into motion a couple of years ago, knowing that by the time they got all these justices in the bench, that's when it would hit, you know. So there's like a lot of strategy behind when I'm gonna when I'm gonna petition the court and when they're gonna choose to hear my case
1: hmm. And yeah, and you can't overstate that. Like the court is known for going through swings politically. Right. There are different eras. The 1960s court was one that was considered to be very liberal. And um, and if you so, think yeah, sorry, about that
0: so back to back to this case, no, well, this yeah. this is
1: exactly this is great because what you're what you're talking about is why is birth control so important? Right. If you think about how women are viewed or the roles of women and what their purpose is in society, right, that's changing very much, especially after Rosie the Riveter rivets the nation in World War II. And now it's like, well, what if I don't want to just go home and, and make babies? Be forced to make yeah. babies, right? What, what, what control do I have? What choice do I have? Um, all of that is, is tied up into just changing social attitudes in the 1960s. And it's why the Constitution is at once, this amazing thing, this living document that, that you know, flexes and changes as time go on. Um, but it's also very limited in how much it doesn't actually say. Um, and so – And so
0: the, ju- the court's the job – The court rules for her. Go ahead. Well, yeah. So the court's goal here – so here we have an issue – that the constitution does not speak to. So, like, what is the what is the what is the Supreme Court's goal? Is it we want to rule the way we think the founding fathers would have ruled? We want to pass a law that seems just in this day and time. Is that the difference between these judges that are like strict constitutionalists versus yeah, whatever it's it.
1: exactly it? It's it's some of them think that their job is to do exactly what the founding fathers wanted. And in fact, if you look at the decisions, there's, every time a Supreme court makes a decision, there's a majority opinion and there's a dissenting opinion, right? Right. There could be multiple opinions of each. And so when Hugo black found himself the, the long, the longest tenured uh, Supreme court justice who went through a pretty radical personal evolution throughout his decades on the court in his dissent, he, he kind of said the court, should not be keeping up with the times. That's not what the court's job is. Um, and of course, if it's a seven to two decision, then there's a lot more people who are writing the majority, which is so critical to what would be, what would lay the foundation for all of these cases, because Justice Douglas famously, um, I have a little paragraph here with with the most famous phrase, but this was often criticized by conservatives, the way Justice Douglas was said to have just pulled the right to privacy out of the air. And these are his words. He said, Previous cases suggest that specific guarantees in the Bill of Rights have penumbras formed by emanations from those guarantees that help give them life and substance. Various guarantees create zones of privacy. And so you have two generations of conservative legal scholars just mocking penumbras and emanations <laughs> as this as this uh, you know mocked way of how he just created the right to privacy. It was all this one guy in this one paragraph, and I could easily spend thirty minutes with every student, uh, every class I had with the dictionary, just trying to go through this and unpack this paragraph. But it is important to see that this. This 1965 case really is where that right to privacy is, is really codified in a significant way by the court. And, and this happens. In fact, Hugo Black, who I just mentioned, was on the dissent. Um, he had been on on the other side of cases where uh, you'd be part of a dissent and you, 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 quote unquote, lose. You know, you're on the losing side of that decision. But what you say in your dissenting opinion becomes foundational to a future case. And because so dissenting again, opinions are so important.
0: Because you could, like, like seven of the nine justices say, yes, we believe the Constitution should protect, or the, the U.S. government should protect the right to privacy, even though it's not mentioned in the Constitution. A, a dissenting judge could believe in the right to privacy, but say, I don't think that it's the federal government's job to protect that. That should be left up to the states. So they could, like, agree with the principle, but disagree with whose job it is. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and in fact, Hugo Black, you know, when you really study him, he does seem to be a person who increased, I mean, first of all, as a young man, he was like in the KKK for a minute. And he was, he he dramatically moved away from that by the 1950s when he's helping bring about civil rights. He's just an interesting character. Um, But you, but you see him over and over again as like an aging justice saying like, I'm really, I'm really trying to be objective here. Like it can't be about what I think personally is right. And so JR to that exact point. So you say, okay, we'll leave it to the States. The the privacy, abortion, birth control, none of this stuff was in the founding fathers. So it's gotta be up to the States because the ninth and 10th amendments. Right. But then what happens when those States interpret it in a way that limits what is in fact seen as somebody's best way to pursue their life and liberty rights. You know, so which are always, guaranteed
0: by the Constitution, yeah, right? Life, liberty and the which of which are.
1: And of course, then there's going to be pushback from a conservative who's going to say, well, that unborn baby has rights as well. So, you know, you're just kind of if, if you've never really heard any of this kind of history, this is just some of the flavor of what goes into Roe v. Wade.
0: So we have. Yeah. So we have this this birth control uh, case that begins to enshrine. A con or a, I don't want to say constitutional, a federally protected right to privacy. And then yes. wh- how does, so Roe v. Wade builds on that precedent?
1: Well, so, so yeah, it, it just is an extension of it, right? So you've got states that have outlawed. Um, and, and by the way, I, I, the reason I hesitated there, I don't want to get off topic, but let's just, Let's just expand the idea for a second in a way that might help visualize this better. When you think about all of the realities of homosexual relationships, gay marriage, and other topics that have come right, um, the the successes that we saw during the Obama administration and then the subsequent you know reversals or pushback or whatever that we've seen since, all of that came a couple of decades after just even normalizing. Same-sex relationships, right? And those same-sex relationships often were also tied to right to privacy, right? Do I have the privacy to have sexual encounters uh, as I choose? And those were tied to anti-sodomy laws, right? So, there's there's always a way to criminalize a certain behavior that targets a certain group. And so, if, if that's just a helpful framework to think of how expansive the right to privacy, it's, it's about all of the different ways one's sexual... Um, lifestyle is regulated criminalized and so on and so back to the birth control the right to privacy the court showing a sympathetic bent towards allowing these types of things to move forward what's interesting is by 1968 you get the richard nixon presidency famously not sure if you guys know this not a liberal he very much was uh (laughs) and how do you feel about privacy (laughs) Well, (laughs) what's what's so fascinating yeah and of course you know he turns you know weed which is like just like laying around on every street corner in America in 1968 like he turns that into like a class one felony right for for reasons which if you haven't watched uh, Ava DuVernay's Masterpiece 13th go watch that but um Bottom line, we end up with judges that Nixon appoints actually being tied up in the Roe decision. That's a whole other fast, fascinating thing. Um, he appointed Will, Will Rehnquist, for example, who became the chief justice in the eighties. But bottom line is, you end up with these two sister cases called uh, Roe and Doe. And so Roe v. Wade is the most famous one that's been targeted for just uh, my entire life. You know, as as the catalyst, and because it's the case that that allowed the Supreme Court, in fact, to overturn the criminalization of abortion. And on the same day as the Roe case, they handed down the decision of what was Doe versus Bolton, um, which which kind of gave even more power to women to pursue abortions, right, given various scenarios and the things that could happen. So there there were a lot of anecdotes that were tied up in the arguments, but the bottom line was the court saying you cannot re, uh, restrict a woman for being able to get an abortion. And this is in 1971, 72. There's there's actually um, a couple of different opinions if you go through the history that that are written, but that's, that's the case. So by 1973, after Nixon's out of office or right around the time Nixon's leaving office, you've got a court... Basically legalizing, if you will, abortion, right? And that becomes the thing that we hear about for I don't know, fifty years now.
0: Mm-hmm. But not really, right? Because that that you had an entire decade uh, plus where that was not a talking point for the moral majority or evangelicals. You know, oh yeah, um, we're down here. Yeah. I mean, this is a whole this is a whole separate show, right? And Jesus, we can Jesus do that. versus
1: John Wayne, right? Or what's it what's that
0: Yeah. Uh, Jesus and John Wayne. <laughs> Jesus on John, jo- yeah. yeah. Well, read many, I'm reading too thing. many court, court decisions. <laughs> um, but, you know, we have uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, which is one of the, that and Liberty are like the flagship conservative slash fundamentalist seminaries. And we have Dallas Theological Seminary professors on record in 1980 saying that abortion is not really an issue that Christians need to have an opinion on. Um, and that the science favors that a, that a fetus is not a life and that the Bible favors that a fetus is not a life and I mean that would get that would get someone fired from DTS in a hot second today right so so I mean even even to your point clay right like mm-hmm. when this when this is first handed down even the most conservative parts of Christian evangelicalism in our country don't care for more than a decade Right. So again, that's a whole Mm -hmm. separate episode Mm -hmm. about why and how and. But but I mean that was absolutely
1: mind blowing. If you actually read that chronology documented out, it was like, oh, we can really get traction around this.
0: Right.
2: Right. Right. Because it looks bad that we're fighting for desegregation. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) So instead of going after schools and protecting those spaces for their. Um, white children, we're just actually now going to go after women's bodies. Sounds like a good a good plan. Because we have so, a tried and yeah. true
0: history of controlling women, sure. right? It's <laughs> yeah. uh, much yeah. But easier. you think about it, like, you know what always
1: works? It always works to say that my opponent favors policies or practices that are going to allow our military enemies to come take your house to come kill your children. Like fear always works in that way. Like they are endangering you personally, right? Then you get to this and it's like, these kind of culture wars start to move into like, well, you actually won't even know these women. This this actually won't affect you in any direct way, but it's the worst possible thing that could ever happen to us because we will lose our moral way. We will be condemned by God if we become a nation who like it becomes about the threat isn't against you even it's like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna lose our status as a Christian nation or we're gonna somehow be I, I, it's just it's very interesting how that kind of pivot happens around that time right if we let other people have what essentially the, the question is is abortion a fundamental right right or is the fetus uh, a human to be Granted, all of those um, constitutional
0: rights, and and the issue is is n- not even is abortion a fundamental right, but is that is that action protected under the right to privacy? Right? Do I have the right to do to my body something that I feel is appropriate to do?
1: Right? Yeah. I mean, right, am I cases, am I understanding that mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yeah, and in many cases, right where the pregnancy could could create life threatening risks. Um, and so, what's so fascinating about this that is directly relevant to today? You can imagine that when the Roe decision came down, there was much weeping and gnashing of teeth by people who um, obviously thought that that was the only way to go. And there was a legislative backlash against this decision. There were there were new laws that um, there were du- they were doubling down on laws, and there were new laws, right? So. Uh, you have to have consent of your parents, your husband, in many states. Okay, so abortion's legal, but now, you know, we're going to find a new way to do these these little catches, just like we saw uh, in particular in the South after, you know, slavery. Say, oh, okay, yeah, you can vote if you can pass this test and you can prove this thing and you can be here at this time and all that different stuff. And so the court ends up going back and forth, you know, striking down some of these, especially the partner consent rules were a quick target in this era. There were questions about can federal funds be used towards abortions. That's right. So okay, just because you have the right to do this does not mean that my tax money is gonna go towards go
2: to fund this thing that
0: I oppose.
1: And we've seen that show up in countless ways, right? Similar Oh, we're
0: allowed to not pay taxes if the government does things we don't want? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> yeah, it's worked out really well for some people uh,
0: So so let's move to today and, right? and there were attempts
1: to overturn Roe That began almost yeah. immediately Despite uh, despite so, plenty of conservative appointees It's, it's never happened
0: So let's, let's move to this Let's move to this court case today Like, mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. is it being overturned? Because as you said The Supreme Court does not make laws So they're not They didn't pass a law That says that abortion is illegal What's happening now?
1: Well, and and this is where you guys can help me with, right? Because admittedly, both by not being a teacher anymore and being distracted by my day job and by just, I don't have the appetite to consume this stuff every day. I, I have watched with great interest and, and lamented much with Jen as we've seen state after state, including our own state of Texas, in recent years pass these, uh, these laws, right? Once again, moving towards restrictive uh, measures against abortions and and I guess obviously that's all part of the strategy that we we talked about earlier, right? You get you get the right members on the court, and you begin to pass these new laws. They're going to be challenged. They're going to end up in that court, and now it's going to be a chance for judicial review to review the established um, interpretation or codification uh, of the laws. So I have not read the leaked. Document, and I guess we should say that as the time of this recording, it's still a leaked document that has not been actually
0: passed. Is that accurate? Correct. Correct.
2: The and, vote, and the case the vote is, hasn't been taken.
0: That's right. The case is Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization. Um, so it's a woman uh, who who is suing um, Jackson Women's Health Organization in Mississippi. So that's where this is all originating. <sighs>
2: That's all I got. Big, heavy, deep size. And even today, um, there was a news alert that flashed. Oklahoma lawmakers today, so that would be Thursday, May 19th, passed a bill that would ban abortions from the moment of fertilization. From that moment. so. um,
1: Yeah, and the timing is important, um, even as it was clear, 30 years past Roe, that abortion was not going to be overturned. Then there were a lot of renewed cases around things like partial birth abortions. There have been, you know, day after pill. There there have been constantly um, adjudicated situations throughout the last 50 years.
0: It, it's also worth noting that a number of states have what are called, uh, I think, what are known as triggering laws. Trigger laws. Where basically they're already passed, they're already on the books, and they basically have a clause that says— if Roe v. Wade is overturned, then boom. And so, essentially, the moment this Dobbs versus Jackson ruling would become law, these laws would come into effect at the yeah. in these states.
2: Right. Um, Although the Oklahoma bill would not, um, this ban would take effect right. as soon as the governor signs it. So, it, states are doing different things based on the timing or how severe um, how specific they want to be in terms of a woman's control over her body. This seems, I mean, I'm not surprised, but wow, from the moment of fertilization you don't know you're pregnant. Right.
0: You don't wh- even wh- know. Which again is this this is a law that is designed to prevent abortion, right? Like completely. Yes. Um it doesn't matter What it doesn't matter how the pregnancy happened. Doesn't matter if it's endangering the mother's health. It does none of that matters. Um, It's always it's always illegal, right?
1: And and Kathy, I mean, think of the irony, right? Now as we see, just as back in the seventies, there was this legislative pushback to the Roe decision. And now we're like, you know, like California, like we are going to protect abortion. We're going to definitely right. fight this. And it's interesting how states' rights now is starting to move into the purview of a completely different um, ideology, right? Right,
2: like, right. Well, and different states have over time, like you had mentioned, this isn't this isn't a conversation nor has it been um, kind of – It hasn't disappeared from legislation or the conversation in the last 50 years. It's been off and on, depending on the state, depending on who's in power, um, always tied to federal funding. However, because so many things have been coming together in the last 10 years or so to stack the Supreme Court alongside, I think, governors who are willing to... For lack of a better phrase, pull the trigger on these types of laws, and they have um, they have folks at the state level who are willing to push them through and get them passed. It just seems like it's a you know perfect storm situation.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the important point, right, Kathy? Like with the court's ruling, it does the court is not outlining abortion. The court is saying the federal government cannot protect this right. Therefore, it is up to the individual states. And so that's why we're seeing all of this activity at the state level, all of these different states that are under conservative control to then outlaw it, right? Right, right. Because the federal government is no longer saying you can't do that. Right.
1: Yeah, that that one guy on Twitter was like, man, if you thought – if you were angry when the government made you wear a mask – you should be outraged that they make you have a baby. And it's, this, it's, it's all of these kinds of ideas that are going to pop up in all of the pushback, right? We saw right away Biden, for example, calling on Congress to codify the right to abortion. And um, then there's a lot of people who are like, well, what does this mean? Like, does – JR, you mentioned the triggering clauses and under state laws that have actually worked to already create those codes – Um, but it means the same thing. It's always meant the court does get to say what the law is. Um, but also because of federalism, we know that, um, you know, as the famous phrase from the, from the Brown versus board era said that the court will move with all deliberate speed. And, um, and when you are against the change that is happening, you, you hang some hope perhaps on that deliberation, um, You know, the wheels of justice do grind slowly, but they grind indeed. And unfortunately, it feels like um, what they're grinding up is people's people's rights and certainly women's right to their own body. Yeah, Uh, never mind privacy,
2: (laughs) right? Like, it it goes beyond privacy issues. This (laughs) is—I just—just reading that— the wording around what's happened in Oklahoma. Like, from the moment of fertilization. Holy cow. That, men, you all should be worried about this as well. Because no egg is going to get fertilized without a sperm. So, you know. I mean, there was that
0: one time. Yeah, yeah. True. Way back when. But but the odds are not great, fellas. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's—so, you know, just, just in case people are wondering, like, so, so what would it take to stop this? And it's, it's obviously meaningful that the Congress is so split, right? Um, could, a, could an amendment be passed, a federal national amendment to the Constitution to codify the right to an abortion? Um, that takes an awful lot of support, uh, it does appear that in this case, the majority of people do think abortion should be legal. Um, but in order to get a new amendment, there's only been 17 of them since those first 10. Uh, You've got to have two-thirds support from both houses of Congress.
0: And then how lot, many states right? have to ratify it?
1: And then you got to get three-fourths of the state legislatures.
2: Yeah, it's not going to happen.
1: That's a lot. Um so I, I, I think beyond that, you know, we turn to a lot of speculation as to what this is going to look like. Um, what does it mean for a doctor to do no harm to, you know, in, in the face of restrictive laws, be faced with a female patient who wants this or who is facing adverse health Effects because of a, you know, risky pregnancy. Um, I can't imagine the myriad ways that this is going to, you know, potentially be borne out in 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 practice. But I, I mean, I also couldn't imagine that we'd be here in 2022. And yet, when you get when you get nominees on the court who literally don't care about anything else except trying to fulfill their parents dreams of a culture war that was like dreamt up by a few pastors 40 years ago, you know, this is where you are. And I, I, I was talking to you when this came out, like, I wonder personally, does this really have the legs that it once did? Like a lot of those people who are pushing for this in the eighties, they're no longer voters because they're no longer, well, breathing in many cases, like, do their kids really care enough? that this is gonna be a big win that's gonna just like bring this wave of Republicans now, all these votes, because look at what we did. We did the ultimate victory. Do enough young voters or or contemporary voters care? I don't know. Or is this gonna create a huge pushback? What are the midterms gonna look like? Is this gonna create a blue wave like we've never seen before? Um, I gave up, as I've said a few years ago. I used to be really good at predicting America and politics and elections. I mean, it was like a fun game with my students because it was so predictable for so long. And I just haven't had a clue for years. I don't know what you guys think about what is to come.
2: It'll be interesting to see because I think there are so many younger voters, younger people who have left the church, right? In part because of this kind of prescribed behavior as opposed to a life where questioning and walking with people in doubt is the value. So I, I'm not sure what's going to happen because I do think that the the influence of the conservative church is still very strong. I just don't know how much longer it's going to be able to pull the strings like it did to create the court that we currently have. I think I'm more concerned with what happens in the next few years in terms of privacy and women's health and how do communities then go back to providing more communal care than depending on systems that rely on individuals. So I was listening to a podcast um, through about Roe v. Wade and All of the historic um, scenarios, all of the history that led up to this moment, who was getting abortions, and what women were doing pre the pill, right? Which was different communities had midwives, and different communities and cultures had kind of those plant-based, medicinal, you know, other ways before pharmaceuticals came to be manufactured in mass quantities. And so I I do know that there are those conversations amongst women who are more tied to different cultures saying, what were those teas? What were those plants and herbs that were collected? Are they still available? What can we provide? I know that there are conversations amongst women saying, do we still collect the 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 birth control that's available to us that can be used in different ways even though we may not be using that right now and I think um, depending on whether or not you live in and have a community of women versus you are looking this looking at this as an individual access point will be whether or not you feel supported because i i don't think people right now at least folks that i'm talking to i live in a blue state and so women here if if they have the time and the money they have legal access to abortions but we're already starting to think a little down the line yeah. of when this shift happens so i'm i'm not worried about or thinking about what's going to happen politically because the implications of this decision coming down in the next few weeks are immediate. For women who live in neighboring states, for um, for people uh, who find themselves with a pregnancy that they do not want to carry to term, what are the options going to be immediately? So I think for me, that's more of the... That's more of the main concern. The, what is going to be available and how and who do we know and what are the, where are the communities that will support people in crisis pregnancy situations?
1: So, I mean, could you see like conceivably uh, a, a group of nonprofits that form to, like, transport women to Canada or something like that as one extreme version?
2: I mean, it- I, yeah, and, and I don't even think it was, is necessarily, a f- like, a fully formed nonprofit. I think that the immediate concern is, do people know people who can do this? Do we know people who can fund something or someone or a group of people um because it feels urgent. You know, we can't wait for the next political shift. That's not that's not the game anymore. Mm. Because this decision has been leaked. It feels like the wording may change, but it at least everyone I've talked to feels like this is a done deal. It's just a matter of when the final decision is released. I don't Yeah, I I don't think it's going to necessarily rely on the formation of new nonprofits. I think it's going to rely on the on the current nonprofits, the current organizations that have been journeying with um, people who are pregnant all along. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I just I don't think I don't think it's the churches. I don't think the churches have thought through the churches that were fighting for um you know anti-abortion laws have thought through the consequences of what this looks like.
1: Mm that's a great I mean that's that's all at once I guess obvious but I don't know how many of us have actually thought that phrase that you yeah, just
2: said. Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think most pastors who say, oh, well, we will be the body of Christ Have thought through what that means when people in their own congregation or families or people in their communities en mass, find themselves in a crisis pregnancy situation and have no other alternative but to give birth in a country that still has a fairly high maternal uh, death rate
0: Highest in the, developed, uh, right? in the developed world, yeah. I believe. Yeah,
2: and particularly amongst Black women, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Black pregnancies. So, like, I don't really see or have heard of churches in mass, in their institutional whatever, setting themselves up for this. So, yeah. What
0: What happens? Oh, oh, just put babies up for adoption. That's, that's not an we, answer. We don't have any babies up for adoption right now. there's a you know super super low number of babies yeah. up for adoption and our foster care is definitely not overrun in any way.
2: No, not at all. not at all. Well and if you have the money then you you don't have to worry about foster care. you can just go overseas essentially buy a baby. Um, a brown I mean, baby. A brown baby yes brown baby, black baby. It's
0: it's racism. It's racism, arm.
2: Well, I mean, it fixes racism, don't you Mm -hmm. think, Jr? So there's that too.
0: How can I be racist? Look at my brown child.
2: Yeah, and I just want to I want to put in there too. I think we the the three of us on this podcast we are also still learning the language around, um, around, uh, trans folk. So it's not just women, right? It's people who are pregnant.
0: People who have wounds.
2: Yes. And so I think, again, I I have so many concerns that I honestly did not have 10, 15 years ago where I was at a different place theologically and didn't have to think through these things, right? Because you don't think through these things. These are, they're told to you why you have to believe X, Y, and Z. And so, again, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens
0: with churches, period. Interesting is a kind word. Mm,
2: mm-hmm. I try to be kind every now and then.
0: You are the kindest. Everyone says it on this podcast. Mm. Mm. <laughs> liar, liar. <laughs> well, certainly,
1: um, if you're listening and I I got any of my history or facts wrong, let me know. And uh,
0: Otherwise, you can let Kathy and me know.
2: <laughs> yes. That's
1: right. That's right. Yes. Talk behind my back.
2: But straight to our faces, Jr.
0: and <laughs> mine.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure this will not be the end of this conversation on this forum or others, um, but it's certainly an important one. And we shall see when the actual decision comes down. I mean, the court session goes from October uh, to May, June. So uh, at the very latest, it'll be out within a month as they go out of session. With that um you guys want to move towards uh, a little little outro a-
0: conversation? Absolutely. Sure. Uh, I'll go first. JR, first. B- first. Mine, is, B- mine is relevant. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. So part of what I find fascinating about the conversation around abortion is who gets to define what is life and which lives are valuable and all of that kind of stuff. And it, and it really brings to the focus, particularly when you start looking at the biblical texts, The fact that um, not everyone agrees on what a life is. And we talked about that when we had Elaine on back, I don't even remember when that was, a couple years ago. Um, uh, So uh, Sandy uh, Villarreal, who used to be the managing editor at Sojourners and is now now no longer there, uh, posted a book on her Twitter account that she was reading. And and the title alone made me immediately go and buy it and start reading it. Uh, It's by Emma... uh, Emma uh, Suthan, I assume is how you say it. And it's called A Fatal Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. (laughs) And it is a history of political murder in ancient Rome. And so she opens up by observing that murder is a cultural construct. That the ending of a life is not necessarily murder. Uh, It can be manslaughter. It can be. Homicide. We even have different degrees of it here, right? It can be execution. It can be killing in a war. There are all of these different categories that we have created. Mercy. In the ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All these ways we have categorized the, the the ending of the of a human life. And like one of the really surprising <coughs> things to me is that she points out that in ancient Rome, murder was not considered a state crime. Uh, if it, yeah, I know. Kathy just made the wood face. I did the same thing. <laughs> Kathy, um, if someone murdered someone in your family, it was your family's job to take care of that somehow. Uh, the state did not get involved in it in in any way. And uh, so, of course, she starts with Julius Caesar's murder on the Ides of March. But she actually says that to understand what happened to Caesar, you have to go back a hundred years to the first guy to get murdered by the Roman Senate and understand how how murder in politics became an acceptable. Reality in Roman culture, uh, so it is. It is a fascinating book. It's really making me think a lot about uh, even Jesus's crucifixion because he was crucified by Romans, right? And so, um, you know, what what did it mean for the Romans to do this, and and what were they thinking when they did these things, and and then particular like even when Paul is. Talking to the larger Greco-Roman world, you know, in his letters about the book of Acts, like, what does it mean to talk about Jesus as someone who was executed by Rome? Like, what are those things? I know what they mean to me right? But how did the Romans understand murder and their political imagination? It's a really interesting book. It's a really fun read. Uh, Clay, I think especially you as a history guy would love it a lot. She has a very wry uh, sense of humor. Like she, she, uh, she invites you to feel her frustration that all of the Romans are named like Titus, Flavius, whatever. And all of the sons are named after their dads and their brothers all have the same names. And so there's like 15 Marcus Aurelius (laughs) whatever's in the same story and it's so hard to keep them all straight and figure out who's murdering who and all this kind of, you know. And (laughs) so she has a lot of fun, weirdly, with the subject matter, but it's great. It's so interesting. uh, And it's making me think a lot about how we today understand those categories, right? And and, and again, just with, with us talking about talking about abortion, right? That, that, is, that is a term and a category that gets imposed by some people in the debate and rejected by others. And it, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting mm-hmm. to me. So <clears throat> a fatal thing happened on the way to the forum. What do you got, Kathy?
2: I have a book called Permission to Come Home, Reclaiming Mental Health as Asian Americans by Jenny T. Wong. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. Um, And it just came out, I want to say this, last week, maybe? Um, I am going to have to read this in, like, little bits and pieces because it just feels so personal. (laughs) Mm. Um, And in the inside of the the book... um, Despite the fact that over 22.4 million people of Asian descent live in the United States today, 6.8% of the population, they are the racial group least likely to seek out mental health services. Um, And so this is about destigmatizing and addressing and naming the issues around mental health. And, you know, I think because it's still the month of my people, broadly, (laughs) Um. This, this hits home. And really, because the last forever years, specifically around the pandemic and the racialization of the virus and the ongoing violence against Asian-Americans, elders and women, um, I have seen a lot of my fellow Asian-American women pick this book up or talk mm. about it mentioned that they, you know, it's on our radar. And so I don't know if there are any fascinating readers or listeners out there who want to pick up the book and maybe like do an informal book club. I would love to hear from you because I feel like this is one of those things I can't do alone. Like, I don't want to read this by myself.
1: Mm. So first, well, first of all, why have we not ever coined that? Our Our whole tagline should be Become a fascinating listener, or are you a fascinating listener? Ah, be, that would be perfect, um, Jen. And I remember when I was getting to know her, and we were just you know talking broadly. I was learning; uh, I'm still learning so much. But um, she said something like, "Korean people don't believe in in psychiatry."
2: Yeah, and,
1: you <clears throat> know, it, it, just as a generalization, that that's not as common as it might be like here. Is that is that kind of one of the categories? As just to break down different views from various. Um, Asian mindsets around. I have not gotten,
2: yeah, I have not gotten um, through enough of that. Um, she breaks it down in terms of different areas to give permission to. So, like mm-hmm. each chapter is permission to X, permission to X, like permission to question, permission to feel, and even in the titles of the chapters, there's this moment of like eh, a little emotional catch to like, mm. oh yeah, that's. That is not allowed for reasons, for various cultural reasons, and then for various um, kind of time and space and place reasons around immigration. And so, like I said, I I haven't gotten through—I've read, like, the intro, and that enough was, like, kind of caught me. Um, But, yeah, if any— any fascinating listeners, if you are a fascinating, <laughs> we will let's, let's make that our tagline now. If yeah. there are fascinating listeners out there uh-huh. who want to join me, um, you can reach me and we'll we'll get this going. So that's I am my fascinated.
0: Thing. I am fascinated by our listeners. Jay are, you can't be
1: a fascinating listener when you're already a fascinating host.
0: No, I am fascinated. <laughs> they fascinate me.
2: <laughs> Clay, what do you have?
1: OK, I. Um, I think it would be fun to do a show sometime, by the way, where uh, we kind of kick around names of authors who, as soon as they put out words, you immediately, without thought or preview, know you're going to buy it and read it, like immediately.
0: Yeah.
1: One of those guys for me, for the most part, uh, years ago, was A.J. Jacobs. Yes. And um, actually, it would be funny if Matt was here because A.J. famously blurbed Matt's book, (laughs) which he probably didn't read. Um, Whoa, you know,
0: Mr. Jacobs! I believe you read it.
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he got the gist of it. Well, which one was it? Was it? Uh, I think was it was imaginary wolf? Jesus. Was it? Pretty it's, sure. Imaginary? Aj, anyway, famously did the. Um, he, well, he read the entire encyclopedia. He went on he, the book called "The Know It All" was one of his first books, and his quest to read like every encyclopedic entry ever. Uh, then the, the year he lived biblically, so um, he followed all of the old, you know, coming from a secular uh, mindset, he took it very earnestly, the goal of, of living every uh, biblical Old Testament law and Levitical law and so on. And, um, and you know, he continued with, with, his, with a number of books over the years that I have enjoyed. But his new one, I don't know. So, it's called The Puzzler. It just came out. I've already finished it. Um, you know how we often talk about books and we say, is it better for your eyeballs or your ear holes? Like, you yep. know, should you, if you do the audio <laughs> version, you might lose this? Or, oh, you've got to listen to this one and not read it. So apparently, um, and and, and the, the book, The Puzzler, uh, it has a full, um, gosh, now I got to find it. It's got a full title where it's One Man's Quest to solve the most baffling puzzles ever from crosswords to jigsaws to the meaning of life. And so in typical AJ Jacobs fashion, he does some immersive work here. Um, but he does not just like decide that puzzles are cool because everybody talked about them during COVID. This is a guy I, I did not know this is a category of people. And and I know that, you know, Kathy, we know some we know some people who are really into to puzzles. Mm. And I remember when Wordle was uh, was really going um, how fast the Wordle would hit and be blowing up in our chat and so on.
0: <laughs> and you were so mad every day.
1: Well, apparently there are people who refresh like maniacs at 10 p.m. waiting for the New York Times crossword to come out um, or who literally get up in at like 4 in the morning to do like these puzzles that drop from the New York Times and stuff like that. Um, I have never been that person, but you know, it's fascinating to enter this world with AJ, and he comes by it honestly. And now he has um, he has multiple children, him and his wife, who he's written about through all these books. Um, so his family joins him in some of these quests. Don't we have to call um,
0: her long suffering every time we mention her?
1: Oh my gosh! Well, it's what's <laughs> so so. I'm kind of cruising along listening to the book, and so what what they did was. They created an entire companion PDF so you can see all this. You can try these puzzles yourself when he talks about, like, the greatest ones. But then when it gets to the bonus for each chapter, they were designed for the written word. So, he, like, literally comes on after every chapter, and it's not polished. He's like, okay, so some of these aren't going to work for audio, so we've written some different stuff for you. And it's just, he just talks to you like that after every chapter. And so, he'll do he'll find a way to activate on what the chapter was about and like give you the listener. He's like, okay, hit pause. I'm going to tell you the answer in three, two, one. And like you're, you're hitting the pause button if you want a minute to think about it. Right. So it's, it's kind of fun. And there are definitely a couple classic Jacobs moments where he somehow found out that there was an international jigsaw puzzle tournament in Madrid. And so he sent them a note. And the next thing he knew him and his wife and kids were team USA at the competition in Spain where they're going against like the best jigsaw puzzles. And he hates he doesn't like doing jigsaws. But all of a sudden this becomes like this great family story, right? And there's a couple of things like that. He he really encounters some interesting people. So I I will say, if you love puzzles and word puzzles and things like that, you're going to really like this book. If you like A.J. Jacobs, you're probably going to really like this book. If you like A.J. Jacobs puzzles, you're gonna love this book. But it was just very uh, a very unique auditory ex- experience, and I have thought more about Will Short, the New York Times crossword puzzle creator and editor, <laughs> than I ever had in my life, and, and some of these other folks. So that is um, that is a book that's fascinated me, and I will say, it got me thinking about all of the versions of the Rubik's cube puzzles that my aunt always had. She was always fidgeting with one of them, and my mom has had to, you know games, games magazine. like for 30 years my mom's had games magazine and it's just a common thing to go home and she'll just pull out a clipboard and be working on a puzzle and I just didn't really think about that this is kind of in my DNA a little bit so I went ahead at the end of my reading the book and I subscribed to the actual physical edition of games magazine to kind of like you know to be a little nostalgic about it and to get myself in the spirit of what this book inspired me to do so really proud of you Clay from Jacobs very
2: fun very fun
1: (laughs) But we got to finish our show, JR, with some, with some really exciting news. Uh, you mentioned the Sojourner a minute ago, and you've got some cool stuff happening.
0: Yeah, so they offered me a columnist gig, which uh, is actually just, it's a little bit more relaxed than it sounds. Uh, basically, I'm just now contracted with them to do one, one column, one uh, 800-ish word column a month. So I don't have to, like, have a title and have the same theme. It's it's still going to be faith in pop culture, dr- largely focused on comics, movies, and TV. Um, and I can still pitch more than that if I want. You know, it's just, uh, basically, they just said, we love your writing, and we love your perspective on stuff, and we would like to just have a little bit more formal of a relationship than a freelance writer. And, of course, I uh, brushed the tears out of my eyes and said and thank said you. And said yes. So, <laughs> awesome. So my first, yeah, my my... And again, I was so excited. So, so one of the things I I have started doing with my editor Jenna over at Sojourners is when, uh, like when Batman was coming out, right? I was like, okay, we know Batman's going to be a huge movie. Um, I'm guessing from the trailer that this is what it's going to be about. So here is kind of like a rough pitch. But obviously we won't know until we see the movie. So do you want it? She said yes. So then like literally I got home from the movie, jotted down my thoughts, woke up the next day, grinded out the article and sent it off to her so they could have it up by Monday. Uh, so did the same thing with Doctor Strange, right? Saw the first trailer, had some idea of what I thought it was going to be about. Turns out I was completely wrong. Um, because they, they actually. Weren't we
2: all? Hmm.
0: They actually did this crazy thing where they they gave you a trailer that didn't actually tell you what the movie was about. What? Like, who, who could...
1: Which typically I would appreciate a lot more yeah. than in this case.
0: Because yeah. spoilers. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so I what I sent her was actually sort of a mashup article about everything, everywhere, all at once, and Doctor Strange. And she loved it, and so she took it and ran with it. So, um, yeah, I really like working with them. They have given me a lot of freedom, just like Think Christian, to be weird and try stuff. And if it doesn't work, they just say no, and that's fine. It doesn't hurt my feelings, you know. Um, but I really enjoyed writing that article about multiverse stories and about w- how I'm I'm becoming convinced that they are they are really kind of our latter day longing for heaven, right? We want to get away from this place and go somewhere better. Uh, and you I make think that's a compelling
1: what, argument. Well, thank you. So, and you even got a Palm Springs reference in.
0: Come on now, right? I knew you'd like that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was uh, you know I started with uh, the greatest twenty minutes of television of all time, the Community episode that introduced the Darkest <laughs> Timeline. Um, this is amazing. Yeah, so uh, uh. anyway, yeah, it's it's a it's a great opportunity. I love writing for them, and I'm excited that they want me to write more. So, that's so cool, man! Congratulations! Uh, um, thank you
1: not not the easiest thing you know that's like a writer's dream you know but uh, even to do one a month can be can be a challenge and i'm sure you'll do more than that though yeah
0: well they have they have from me they'll probably put it out when discovery season 4 launches but i did an i did an article for them on star trek discovery's third season and it's call for reparations um and how how just a half-hearted apology is not enough you actually need to make tangible reparation when you've done wrong um, that's a that's a lesson from star trek and then i'm working on i'm actually working on a piece on star trek picard season 2 which was not great but it was about q and so i'm i'm writing about jeremiah and what to do when it feels like god is against you cuz you know that's hmm. q so yeah got a lot in the hopper right now
1: good that's stuff great. kathy anything uh, you want to mention before we head out
0: no everything's long term uh, it is your 2 year anniversary of the bywalk yoga night right oh yeah, I think it's been
2: about two years now.
0: God. I never, I never get tired of celebrating that.
2: Oh, two years! I wish it That's wasn't great. needed. It's great, I but know. it's also, you know, born out of awful. So yeah. there's that. We hold it all in tension.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. And then you Fascinating breathe, right? listeners. And you breathe, yes. And you yes. Breathe. We Keep breathing. <laughs> we keep breathing. How about you, Clay? Anything?
1: <sighs> no, just working like a chump. But, and making
0: uh, all that side money.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have uh, I have some interesting things that keep me going, but for now, no new content just yet. But stay tuned, as always.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, this has been episode 235, or 325. I'll get it eventually. 325. <laughs> um, we did 235 so long ago. Uh, next week, we are going to have another great guest, so you should stick around for that. We are... Turning the corner towards the end of the season, we've got the rest of our shows pretty much booked up and ready to go. So uh, let us know what's been fascinating you. uh, Let us know what you think about the possible overtraining of Roe v. Wade. And let us know how long it's been since you've had a Mexican pizza. Uh, Until next time, take care of each other out there and uh, make sure you run for that border. Boom!